0: Recording in progress. Okay, so what I wanted to do initially was I thought that what I would do is discuss uh, some of the even edges that I wasn't able to cover that were very interesting and voracious, but they didn't fit within a specific topic. I ended up deciding not to do that. I'm going to have to keep that in my back pocket for other weeks to tie them in. Um, because there was still another class in Beratius that I thought was very relevant to Vayechi, and I didn't um, have a chance to talk about a few different Ibn Ezra's in the past. So what I decided to do is change the topic to discuss this week's um, uh, topic du jour, is the Ibn Ezra's approach to Nivua, to prophecy. And you'll see why it's relevant very much uh, in this sedra, but also I hope to be able to give some clarification as to the Ibn Ezra's wider approach to Nebuah as well. Um, So let's start at the beginning. The Ibn Ezra feels that the brachais that we normally associate Yaakov giving his children on his deathbed the Ibn Ezra doesn't view those as brachas. For the Ibn Ezra, the blessings that Yaakov gives his children are actually not recorded in the text. What we are seeing when we read what Yaakov said to Reuven and to Shimon and Levi and to Yehuda, Yisachar, Zvulun, etc., for the Ibn Ezra, that is nevuah, that is prophecy. That is not a bracha. That is not a blessing. What is the difference between a bracha, a klala, and a nevuah? For the Ibn Ezra, it's very simple. A bracha is a hope that something should be increased, that something should become more numerous, that something should grow. A klala is the opposite. It should be diminished. It should be lowered. It should be subtracted. And a an nevuah is something that a true prophet has access to some information that is otherwise not accessible to anybody else that foretells a future event. That is the difference. Those are these three categories. So for the Ibn Ezra, the fact is all of the verbiage, all of what we thought were blessings that Yaakov Avinu was telling his children at the end of his life, those are not blessings. Those are not bracha. Yaakov is not wishing that the, the Shvatan, that his children, will receive these things, that they should be increased to obtain these things that he's talking about. No. According to the Ibn Ezra, Yaakov has access to to special information, to divine information. He is prophesying that this is, in fact, what will occur to his children. Very big difference. Right? A bracha is something that you hope for, something that you're davening for, something that you're wishing for. A nevuah is not. A nevuah is something that will happen. Of course, obviously, circumstances can change if perhaps the people in the later generations are not worthy. But fundamentally... As things now stand, these are things that will occur. This is the position of the Ibn Ezra. And the Ibn Ezra makes the argument like this. If you look at the Pesukim at the beginning, right where it says that Yaakov Avinu is gathering his children around him on his death, but he says, "He Come, listen to, to gather around, listen to your father, listen to your dad. And he says, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to tell you what's going to occur to you in the end of days. I mean, literally, for the Ibn Ezra, that is what he's telling them. He's telling them, I'm going to tell you what's going to happen to you at the end of days. Not end of days here or for the Ibn Ezra doesn't mean Mashiach's time. It's not that the, the Ibn Ezra doesn't accept that there is a specific case. We've already pointed out the Ibn Ezra in Noach that does believe that there is a specific case although he says nobody knows it Right? he says that uh, it's definitely um, uh, a hidden but there is a date it's not that the Ibn Ezra doesn't agree that there are commentaries that say that means in the end of days a messianic era but not for the Ibn Ezra for the Ibn Ezra means in the, in the coming days in the future I'm going to tell you what's going to happen so, the simple reading of those words is that this is an avo I'm telling you what's going to happen. It's not a blessing. I'm not hoping that this happens to you. I'm telling you this is what's going to happen because I'm able to attain and ascertain information that's beyond you because of my prophetic ability. Says the Ibn Ezra. <laughs> Yaakov Evinu, the prophet, he's talking about what's going to happen in the future. Vito And those who say that these are blessings are making a mistake. Ba'avor Because we find in the end of these quote-unquote prophecies, we find in the end of this section, the passage tells us, these tribes, these um, uh, uh, Shavatim were 12. And this is what their father told them. And he blessed them. Each according to his blessing, he blessed them. So for the Ibn Ezra, it sounds like he gave each one a blessing. Where is the blessing for for Shimon and Levi? Where is the blessing for Reuven? As you will recall, Yaakov Avinu castigates Reuven for his actions. Yaakov Avinu says about Reuven, Reuven mechoriata keichivareshes Aini. Right, he says, pachas kamayem kelisa kealisa mishkevei avicha az chilalta yitzui Allah. Right, Shimon Valeviar Ahim, Klechamas, Mechara Sam, the Saidam Al Tovanafsi, the Kalam Altechat Kivaidi, Kibaapam Hargu Ishu Vert Sainam Ikarushar, right or Apam Kiyas, Vavrasam Kikashasa, Achal Kemiyak, Vafita Mizra, all of that is not blessing. So for the Ibn Asha, the simple reading of the verse of come and gather around, and I'm going to tell you, yikra that's prophecy. And later on, the puzzle is telling us, He so we gave each one a blessing. There's no blessing for Uvin, Shimon, and Levi. That we can all agree on. It does not sound like any sort of a blessing. That means, that's a proof, that the blessings are separate. The blessings were not recorded in the text. The blessings are something that happened bilaterally between Yaakov and each of his sons, and was not recorded in the Chumash. What was recorded in the Chumash is prophecy. What was recorded in the Chumash is nevuah, both for the good and the bad. And therefore, says the Ibn Ezra, all of these things that we normally consider Yaakov's brachais are not amar. they were said as uh, uh, prophecies and after that, after that he blessed them, and the Torah doesn't write down, the Torah doesn't mention what the brachas were that he blessed them with. Now what's the problem? The problem for the Ibn Ezra, I think, is a fewfold. The first is that if we look at the text, the text tells us that Yaakov is... Cursing Shimon and Levi. The Pasik tells us Or Apam ki, ki Or Apam. That sounds like a curse. A curse is the opposite of a blessing. If the Ibn Ezra is saying that this is all prophecy, then why is he why is there any mention of a curse? Now you might say, well, it's a prophetic curse. It's not Yaakov's curse. He's saying it prophetically. Maybe so, but listen to how that, that Pasuk reads. Right? At the end of that Pasuk, the next words are what? Sounds very much like Yaakov talking in the first person that he's going to be the one who's going to do that. He's the one who's like pushing them down. Sounds almost like the Uru Abam Kiyaz, which doesn't say that he's cursing them and he's not cursing them directly; it's cursing the anger. Sounds like maybe this is a little bit closer to a curse. In which case, maybe the other ones are more closer to blessings. That's one que- potential question on on the um, on the Ibn Ezra. But let's take it further. I think there's a more fundamental uh, question on the Ibn Ezra. And the more fundamental question is that at the end of the day, when you look at the bracha, or the prophetic portion, that Yaakov tells Yosef, what were the words that he gave for Yosef? He said to Yosef a whole bunch of things about Yosef, most of which, by the way, sounds like it's talking about in the past, not Stuff that happened in the future, right? Vayimaru Or, right? These are not things that are happening in the future. These are things that happened in his life. These are things that happened to him. right? These things already happened to him. And then he continues. And Yaakov says, Me'elavicha v'yazreka, v'eishadai Hashem should bless you. Berakh ha'shamayim me'o berakh ha'shamayim v'etz torah az burkhos dai ve'racham she'ki all these different brachas and then he says berakh zavigo the brachas of me are even greater gover berakh ha'hirat even greater than the brachas that i got from my parents atavaz givosolam tianol roshef this is where you should be ukkarin ziraqah it sounds like Yaakov is discussing blessings it sounds like Yaakov is blessing Yosef with a strong bracha. The brachas of Shamayim, the brachas of the Tuhayim, the brachas Shadaim Shaddaiim Sounds very much like blessings to me. And it's not that the Ibn Ezra is ignoring it. The Ibn Ezra is aware. The Ibn Ezra says, on the words, Bircha Yisavicha, says the Ibn Ezra, E'la Yaakov is telling Yosef, These blessings that I have blessed you, Atzumim heim. They're fantastic, they're wonderful, they're strong. These And they'll combine with the blessings that I've previously received from my parents. And you're going to get the benefit of the blessings that I received from, from my father Yitzhak, who received blessings from his father Abraham. This is what you're going to benefit of from having this uh, uh, level of three layers of blessings. Fantastic. But it sounds like a blessing? Doesn't sound like a prophecy. First of all, it sounds like we're talking about things that happened in the past. But besides that, also by Shimon and Levi, we're talking about things that happened in the past. We're not talking about, uh, um, uh, at least most of it's not uh, um, forward-looking. It's it's looking at what occurred. But it's 100% bringing down Bracha, wishing that he should be successful. Wishing that he should have an increase, which is the Ibn Ezra's definition of what a Bracha is. Whereas the nevuah is channeling the information that one receives from on to, high to foretell what the future holds. To me, this is a bomb question on the Ibn Ezra, because he himself is acknowledging that Yaakov is blessing Yasef. So to open up by saying that there's no blessing here, this is all nevuah, and the blessings weren't listed in the, in the text, I, I, I find it very difficult to substantiate. Another point to mention is that the Ibn Ezra feels that he has a lot of proofs to his thesis, and and this is what I want to spend some time on. The Ibn Ezra proves that he's correct that these are all prophecies from various different things that happen in the lives of the Shvatim. For example, in relation to excuse me, in relation to Shimon and Levi. The pasuk told us that Yaakov says, I'm going to separate them out. I'm going to divide them out. I'm going to, I'm going to ensure that they don't congregate together. Shimon and Levi Achim, like the pasuk told us in of Vayishlach, that Shimon and Levi they came betach and they've a Yagru called Zohar. That's not going to happen again. They won't be living together. They Won't be able to plot. They won't be able to um, uh, live or reside side by side anymore. Says the Ibn Ezra, they are meant to be spread apart. And they should not have that kind of closeness any longer. And says, We know that Shimon ended up living within the tribe of Yehuda. Shimon was a, a sort of, um, if you're following geopolitics, so there's a constant tension between Armenia and Azerbaijan. It happens to be there's also currently a tension now between Armenia and Russia because Armenia feels that Russia is not paying them due heed in relation to their concerns. But there's an area within Azerbaijan called Nagorno-Karabakh. And Nagorno-Karabakh is an area that is majority Armenian but it's within Azerbaijani territory. And there's today, after losing a war in 2020, there is today a corridor which goes from Nagorno Karabakh to Armenia, which is supposedly guarded by Russian peacekeepers. Again, like I say, Armenia is not very happy with the fact that Russia is not doing a very good job. But according to um, the way that's meant to work, according to the way that ceasefire is meant to work, there's supposed to be access. So that the people who are Armenian are able to get and are living in Nagorno Karabakh are able to get food, etc. From Armenia, because that those are their fraternal brothers; those are their family, that is their ethnicity. So imagine Shimon is living within the Shevet of Yehuda. And according to the way that Ibn Ezra wants to learn, it's not necessarily the way it seems so clear from the Pesukim in in um, in Yeshua, but it's a hundred percent clear that the that the 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 portion of Shimon was nichla within within Yehuda, and that we don't hear about Shimon again after the beginning of Shavtim, where Yehuda mentions to Shimon, "Let's go fight in a battle." Uh, that's the last time we hear about Shimon as an independent Shaif. We never hear about them again. I also I, I I sometimes make a joke that people you know talk about the fact that oh, there's ten lost tribes. And there's only two tribes remaining. It's really not true, right? Because we have what we, uh, uh, you know, what our tradition records is both Yehuda and Minyamin. That's the classic. But obviously, there's Levi for the Kehatim and Levim that we have. But really, there's also Shimon, because Shimon doesn't have an independent existence. It lived within Yehuda and became entirely enmeshed and intermarried within Yehuda, and there's really no difference between Shimon and and Yehuda any longer. Says the Ibn Ezra that. That the um Shimon Nafal Yehuda, and basically it was Berushos They didn't have their own independent existence. They didn't have a continue um contiguous uh, um, border. They didn't have a portion that that was that was very strong or or you know adjacent to the sea or some other area out. They lived entirely surrounded. By Yehuda, he says they didn't even have cities within Yehuda that were 100% next to each other. Again, not exactly 100% clear that that's the way the, that it seems in Yeshua, but that's what the Ibadazah says Rachmif be girl Yehuda. Rather, it was, it was um, situated among the various other cities of Yehuda. And of course, Levi, we know that's for sure the case, right? Gam came by Levi. <laughs> Levi had you know forty eight cities. They were the Levite cities, cities of refuge, and they were spread out all over Israel. So Levi, not just that Levi doesn't get a portion, not which of course is reframed, right, and refracted in a much more beautiful and positive light than the in 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 and uh, the 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 psukim later on, right? right? Why? Because Ishia Hashem. Is nachavah, So he, he gets the portion of HaKadosh Baruch he's given up everything in order to worship God, so he doesn't get a a a, a very banal portion, and a portion that's just material here in this world. He gets a, a much higher level of a portion. Yeah, this is true. This is true for the tribe of Levi. So we see that as a much better and a much more impressive kind of a, an idea for Levi. But practically speaking, the way it was initially envisioned by Yaakov Avinu is that the portion of Levi is being separated out to 48 different cities is not an ideal situation. It's a result. It's a punishment for the fact of what they had done in Shechem, what they had done to Yosef. And that we see also by Shimon. According to the is learning, Shimon gets a portion within Yehuda that is also split up into various different cities and is not, a contiguous portion even with Yehuda, even within Yehuda. So it's not exactly like Nagana Karibak. Alright, so that's the the position of the Ibn Ezra here. And that's the questions that we had on the Ibn Ezra. Again, just to reiterate, he says that this is not the blessings. These all the stuff that he says to the Shvatab is not the blessings. The blessings are something separate that we don't mention in the text. And instead what we're seeing in the Chumash is Navua. This is Yaqavinu foretelling what's going to happen to the to his children, because he has access to this information, and that's what it means. And the blessings are something separate. The tells us that's something separate. And again, we're pointing out various questions that clearly, by Yosef, it seems like a bracha. By Shimon, it seems like a Shimon Levi. It's a klala because of our abba. Um, And and we're also, you know, making it clear that the Ibn Ezra was aware of this problem because even by Yosef he acknowledges that there's a bracha. But now I want to go through a few of what the Ibn Ezra saw as being prophecies. So by Yehuda, the Ibn Ezra makes a repeated point that by Yehuda it's clearly a prophecy, says the Ibn Ezra. If you look at the Pasik, the Pasik tells us that Yehuda, right? He's Yodcha right? Your brothers are going to bow down to you, they're going to acknowledge you. They're going to esteem you as their leader. And not only that, also Yehuda, And the scepter is not going to leave Judah. He's going to remain as the ruler, Adkiyovashila. So if we look, the Ibn Ezra says. That the fact that the brothers accept Yehuda's reign, Yehuda's rule, as being legitimate—that's something that is a hundred percent something that comes true, and and for the Ibn Ezra, that's coming true until until we uh, or I should say we see that repeatedly coming true both now. In the previous sedras, in relation to the fact that the brothers listened to Yehuda's advice as to how uh, to sell Yosef in a negative way, they listened to Yehuda. Of course, when he went to go plead for for Benjamin, and they're going to continue on listening to him. The pasuk tells us for the for the Ibn Ezra. The pasuk tells us later on in Bamidbar and by when it tells us how the Jews are going to travel in the desert. Yehuda is going to go first. It's in a sense, even though in the desert, of course, they're all following the they're, they're following the Baruch Hu, but the reality is they're following Yehuda. Yehuda is leading, and this idea of Yehuda leading is not just as the king. In other words, before you get to David Hamalkh, before you get to that time, you see Yehuda leading and the the other tribes acknowledging his leadership. So for the Ibn Ezra, there are two different examples that he gave. He actually meshes it into one pasuk. Um, which is not exactly one Pasuk, it's two different Psukim uh, in different places in Sheftim. The Ibn Ezra says that you see that Yehuda leads, the Pasuk says, because Gam Omar Hashem, Hashem says, Yehuda Yehuda should lead first. It doesn't actually, there's no Pasuk like that. There's two different Psukim, and the Ibn Ezra squashed them together. He's referring to two different places in Sheftim. One is in the beginning of Sheftim, a Pasuk we just were talking about before. It's the beginning of the opening of Sheftim. The opening of Sheftim is a very weird kind of an opening. We just finished talking about in Yeshua that we split up the land and everything was wonderful and they divided it up and they conquered it. And then all of a sudden we're opening up Shafetim and they didn't conquer it. There's still a lot left to be done. And the question is, <coughs> who should go fight? So the Pasuk opens up in in, in, um, in Shafetim. The same way it opened up Yeshua after the Moshe, here Shafetim opens up with the Moshe of Yeshua. And and the Jewish people asked of God, but who should go fight the Canaanites first? Yehuda should go up. It doesn't say Yehuda it says Yehuda yala. Yehuda should go up to go fight. And over there, the next post says that Yehuda says to Shimon, you know, Shimon Achim, you're gonna come fight with me. If you fight with me and help me resolve my territorial claims, then I will help you. Remember, Shimon's land is within Yehuda's. And Shimon agrees, and they go out and fight, and that's the last mention that, as I've said, at the beginning, of, we hear of Shimon again. But later on in Shaftim, in the end of Shaftim, when we talk about the story of the Pelagish Begiva, over there, they also ask Hashem, and they were there, they're going to go and take revenge against Binyamin for the terrible atrocity that was committed to the concubine and Giva, right? It's basically a replay of the story of Sudoim, and what they tried to do to those two people that came to visit Light. And Apasik tells us that the Jewish people there again asked God Who should go up first to go fight in the war? In B'nei Yaman, to go take revenge against the Benjamites? Yehuda should go up first. So remember the, the line of the Ibn Ezra is Yehuda Yala bethila. So Yehuda Yala we saw in the beginning of Shaeftim, Yehuda B'tachila we see in the end of Shaeftim. And together we get what the Ibn Ezra was trying to say, which is, in his classic, laconic fashion, meshing two, two psukim together, you get the idea that Yehuda is always first, and Yehuda is first even before Davin Amelch ever becomes king. So this proves the point that the idea of Yehuda as being all of that took place as a prophetic statement from Yaakov Avinu, that's why they traveled first in the desert, that's why they went to war first, whether it was against the indigenous Canaanites, whether it was against the own brothers, the, 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 the tribe of Benjamin, for what they had done. What about when it ends, or does it end? Because the passage is a weird passage, it says, Ad ki avoi until shilai comes, or until you come to shilai, it's a big dispute. Among the commentaries, what does it mean Adkiyav Shila. The Christians, by the way, got in on this also. They have a a very big uh, a big uh, um, a lot to say about this for the, for uh, for their position on what Shila is with reference to their version of the Messiah. Not for right now, but if you look, if you look at the the, the way the Pesukim are understood by Rashi, the Rashbam, the Ibn Ezra, Velo Amim. Means that either the nations are going to be gathered to him, which is how Rashi understands that "sifas or the nations are going to be under his thumb; they're going to be under the thumb of Yehuda, right? Which is for the Ibn Ezra again a prophecy. It's an avua. It's a reference to David and Shlaima who are going to be ruling over many nations. Shlaima Melch, you know, had even a larger kingdom that he ruled over than than David and Melech. So for the Ibn Ezra, Yikahas is. A situation of rulership it's not just this uh, um, gathering the nations it's ruling over the nations the Rashba, the Roshba puts them both together he says they were gathered and they were under the thumb of so either way it doesn't make a difference but Ad Kiyo is again a big machlegas for the Ibn Ezra unlike the Rajbam the, the Roshba had said what does it mean Ad Kiyo Shila is a specific place. Chazal tells us that Shila is where the tsara comes from. Shrem is like the tsar where comes from the Jewish people, and that's also like Shila. Shila is right next to Shem. It's not actually geographically right next to Shem, but they're both in the Shomron you know, they're both in the Shamron area. They're both um, um, areas that are considered to be juxtaposed next to each other many times. And the way we see that Shem is a terrible place. Shilai also becomes the harbinger of a terrible place. It's not just the destruction of the Mishkan of Shilai, which is, of course, a part of it, but Shilai is also a bad place. Shilai is the place where Achiah HaShiloini comes from. Again, it's difficult to sort of juxtapose that with him being alive already in the times of Mitzrayim. I don't want to get into that now, but the simple understanding is that, you know, perhaps he comes from Shilai, and he is the one who prophesies that they're going to split the kingdom to Rechavam. And that also, uh, we see that took place um, when they come to Shilai. Again, Shilai and Shechem are being all put together. So for the Rashbam, what it means, Ad Kiyavai Shilai means that Yehuda's greatness is acknowledged, Yehuda's greatness is is subscribed to until Shilai. Once you get to Shilai, once you get the splitting of the kingdom, once all that happens, then it's no longer. Then you have the majority of the tribes Disagreeing, disavowing, disobeying the rulership of Yehuda. But not for the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra takes on a, a different tone. For the Ibn Ezra, Adki doesn't mean that it's no longer going to be relevant to Yehuda's leadership thereafter. He says, no, it just means it's sort of like when Hashem tells uh, Yaakov Avinu, uh, that I'm not going to abandon you until I do all the good things that I promised you. So then what? After he does all the good things that he promised him, then he's going to abandon him? No, he's still, he's still with him. So practically, maybe the Jewish people are leaving Yehuda, but ultimately perhaps, even if it doesn't go into this, but ultimately perhaps we are all going to remain um, subjugated to and admiring of the tribe of Yehuda. The next tribe that he the Ibn Ezra brings into Navua is Zavulan. Zavulan, the Pasuk tells us right? Zavulan right? he lives on the coast. Right? The Pasuk tells us, Yaakov tells us, Zavulan, he's living on the coast. Right? He's gonna go all the way up onto Sidon, right? Which is in like modern day like uh, Lebanon, right? Way up. That's where Zavulan's Yerusha is. So says the Ibn Ezra, Gamzeh derech nevo. is talking prophetically about how these tribes were going to be divided up the land. And he's talking that Zavulan is going to get the coast because he knows this, again, from his prophetic understanding. The problem is, is that if you go through Yeshua, you will see no mention of the coast. Zavulan has nothing to do with the coast. He's not on the coast if you read Yeshua at all. For me, this is a problem for the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra doesn't seem to be aware of it. He's he's fundamentally acting as though Yeshua is giving Zavulan an inheritance on the coast. And he's saying, this is the nevuah. This is what Yaakovina predicted. This is what he had access to this divine information. But if you read Yeshua, there's no mention of the coast at all. And more than that, the Ibn Ezra doubles down, says the Ibn Ezra, and it's not just Yaakovinu saying this, but he already um he, he he was the first to foretell it. But he is followed up, he's seconded by Maishra Bainu. Because what did Maishra Bainu say? He said, Smach right? What does it mean, When you're going out, when you're going out to the sea. And that's always our picture of Zvulun, right? There's boats. He's going out to the sea. He's going to... Right, Yisachar is uh, staying home. He's learning Torah. Zvulun's going out into the world. That's what the Ibn Ezra says. That's Yaakov's prophecy. And yet we have this Pesukim and Yeshua. It don't work. This is not... This is my question, but it's not just my question. Others have noticed this question also. Without getting into the topic more deeply, I'll just tell you, I'll share with you the answer of the grub. The Vilna Gaon suggests in his commentary on Yeshua, he asked this question, and he's also bothered. I don't understand. Yaakov talks about Zavul and the Chayf Yamim, right? Meishra Benu talks about Smachsimul Metezecha, right? Yisachar by Alecha, right? Amim Hayikrov, right? Because Meishra Benu continues, because Yamim Minaku, right? Usvune to right? The sands and the and the waters of the sea. Where do we see it? We don't see it at all in Yeshua. This is the gross question. So the only gone answers that you have to say that, and it's creative as an answer because he says that basically he had he had a, a, a piece of land, a corridor, if you will, that took his actual portion, right, which is in the Galilee area, and it it went, it went to the sea, it went to the Mediterranean. And and he had another portion that went all the way up to to Sidod. and it looked when you would uh, analyze the as a picture, it looked like um like a like a like a like a yarech. It looked like a like the like the shape of a foot, and that's why Yaakov is saying the Soy al Right, he's got to have his like his thigh like the like the. The the, the the geographic location has a pictorial representation of like a, like a thigh. That's how the, 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 the Villeneuve wants to answer two questions. Number one, what does it mean, the Yarech? What's the connection? Number two, where do we find that Zvon's on the water? So much about the water, and yet the actual position of the cities doesn't seem to be near the water. So he says there had to be this kind of a corridor, and we guess it was sort of a shaped in the end, like, uh, like a thigh. He seems to focus it more on what's going on in Sidine. I'm not exactly sure, again, um, if he would include within that the part by the sea. But I believe that Sidine is also by the sea. So maybe it's one of the same portion. I'm not sure. But if they grow is right, then that would explain the Ibn Ezra. Because that's how the prophecy comes true. Once you have an access, right? Once you have an access to the sea, it doesn't really make a difference. Um, you're you're going to be pretty open, right, to be able to get out, um, um and that's what Zevulun had. All right, so we've now covered already a number of the tribes which are proving for the Ibn Ezra that these are all Navus of Yaakov Avinu, and the Ibn Ezra goes on, and he says that if you look by Yisachar, he doesn't understand Yisachar the we classically understand it from Rashi that Yisachar is referring to alerting Torah and the like. He doesn't have any of that. For the Ibn Ezra, you want to know what Yisochar is. Yisochar is somebody who has a fantastic land, right? He's Yisochar is Chamar Garm, Ravi been Mishmasayim. The next pasuk, Vayar Menucha Kitoy, Vesaaritz Kinoema, right? He has a wonderful land. He has a beautiful land. It's fantastic. He's happy to relax in it, right? Vayet Shechmar Lishba, Vehilam Masoivit. So, what does it have to do with the end of the pasuk, right? That he's you know, paying taxes. Right, he's working hard. He's he's carrying his load. He has a wonderful land. It's um, it's somewhat glaring this opposition between the two parts of the text. He has on the one hand a wonderful land, right? It's a beautiful situation, and yet he's having to bear his burden. What the burden? You have a wonderful situation. What's your big burden? Says the Ibn Ezra like this. Says the Ibn Ezra that you want to know what this is translating to for Yisachar, is that Yisachar had such a wonderful land that he never wanted to leave it. And he would be willing to pay anything so long as he could keep the land. So he would pay off, says the Ibn Ezra, Jewish kings and non-Jewish kings, whoever was in control of the land at a given time. Yisachar would pay off whoever was controlling the wider environment so that he shouldn't have to go out to fight, so that he shouldn't have to leave his land, so that he should be able to stay on his land and enjoy it. That is, for the Ibn Ezra, this is how it comes out to be of uh, something prophetic and to explain the two parts of these p'sukim. On the one hand, a wonderful land. On the other hand, he's bearing a burden. Why is he bearing a burden if he's got a wonderful land? The answer... He's got such a wonderful land. He never wants to leave. He doesn't want to go fight wars. He doesn't want to have to go and and, and and put himself at the danger. He's happy to pay. He doesn't need that independence and that kind of a freedom, political freedom. He doesn't need any of that. He's happy to pay whatever the taxes are that's required, so long as he could stay on his land. That's the position of the Ibn Ezra. Lazev they never want to go to fight. They don't want to have to abandon their their place, and that's why Moshe Rabbeinu said, "Smach by in his tents, not the tents of Torah, the tents where he lives. He, he doesn't want to leave his house." They used to give taxes, pay money to the kings of Israel that they shouldn't have to go out to battle or to the non Jewish kings that controlled the land that they should not come and attack them. That is the position of the Ibn Ezra. And yet, I find it very interesting that when it comes to the Shevet of Dun, you would have thought that the Ibn Ezra here might be willing to talk about the Nevuah the way Rashi does. You remember what Rashi says. According to Rashi, who is the whole... Paragraph that Yaakov Avinu is allocating to Don who is this referring to? For ya- for the for Rashi's commentary, it is a whole reference to Shimshon. It's all discussion of Shimshon and his wars that he fought and the battles that took place against the Polishtim. And the fact that he fell in battle, this is all discussion about Shimshin. Now, according to Rashi, that's what it means. Dun he's gonna judge the people. How is he gonna judge the people? Because he's literally right, that is that is what shimshin is. He's the Shaifate. niba right? And he's going to take the come on the palishtim. And 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 he's the one who's going to uh need this Yeshua because he thought maybe he was gonna be great enough to be the Messiah, but of course he's premature, and that's why he Davening when he sees his end for Hashem to um you know to to uh to provide salvation, but not for the Ibn Ezra. The Ibn Ezra goes through the whole blessing of done and not once discusses the Shemshin. He doesn't say he's not discussing Shemshen, but it's a deliberate omission, clearly a very deliberate omission, and a very conscious omission. But remember, for the Ibn Ezra, it's all about prophecy. So then, what's he talking about? The Don Yad and amay, Where is that? Israel? They're going to judge the people. They're going to judge um, his nation, like one of the one of the tribes. Where do you see that? Says the Ibn Ezra like this. You want to know how this is in Avua? You can tell that this is a prophecy because it's a remez. It's hinting at what's going to happen in the future. You will recall that the Jews, they traveled in in a formation in the desert. We mentioned that Yehudu was Yah lebetchile. is one who always goes first. But who goes last? Don. Don is the ma'aseh v'chol ha'machanais. Don is the one who travels behind everybody. Why is that? Because of the fact that you have to have somebody to be what's called the rear guard, right? You have to have somebody who's gonna ensure that when people are gonna attack from the rear, that they're also gonna be able to be taken care of. So you put your strongest, you know, people on the on the ex- exterior, right? You put them in the in the in the in the front, in the back, on the right, and the left, and the weakest parts, right? You'll be putting in the middle. Dun travels behind the machaneh in order to ensure the safety of the rear guard of the Jewish people. So in that sense in that sense Dun is a warrior, okay? But where do you see that he's judging the people? That doesn't that tells me he's a big warrior. He's like Yehuda just in the back, okay? But where do you see that he's a uh, a judge? Says the says the Ibn Ezra? No, what it means when it's talking about the judging is <laughs> That Dun is also given a, a banner, right? Dun has a flag, and he's able to fly his flag, and he's the one who's Maasev al machanais and therefore says the Ibn Ezra, V'hinei Haya Kol Am Bachais. Dun is the ruler of the other Bnei Hashvachais, not that he's the ruler of the nation. If you look at the simple reading of the pasuk, the Ibn Ezra is not really doing it justice. Right, because what are the reading of the pasuk tells, he's going to judge his nation, not to Bnei HaShvachas. The Ibn Ezra is basically saying that because he's the Ma'asif of Chalamachnis, because he's the one who leads the other Bnei Ashvaches, so all the other children of of Bila and Zilpa, so that's how he's the head. He's like a, one of the Giveres, like one of the like one of the children of of Rachel or Leah, because he gets a flag and he's a leader. In the, the rear guard. So that's how the Ibn Ezra wants to say that there's a remez, that there's that there's a fulfillment of the nevuah. I don't know this, what I'm about to say as a fact, but I do wonder if the Ibn Ezra was perhaps also a little bit unwilling to say that it referred to Shimshon because of the problem the Rashbam makes. The Rashbam is very, very not charitable to, to Shimshon. The Rajbam says about Zeda, He's I think we mentioned this a few years ago when we did it, the Rajbam classes, the Rajbam says, Chalila, Chalila, if anyone to suggest that this pasuk, these psukim about Don are a reference to Shimshon, says the Rajbam in his inimitable manner, anyone would suggest that these psukim about done are a reference to Shimshin Agibar is not. Shol shol it doesn't understand the depth of what Pashab shot means. And why is that? Which obviously we reference to the Zeta because Rashi is the one who says that. And what's the problem for the Rashbam? Oh, the problem is, is that Shimshin is a failed leader. Shimshin, he says, the Rashbam, is Yaakov Yunu going to come talk about one person? a sole individual who fell to the Philistines after they had already blinded him, Khalilah. Now, for Amar's perspective, it doesn't seem that the way Shaifdeh mentioned Simshin, that he was a failed leader. He was a judge. He was definitely an odd judge, not a very typical judge in terms of the things that he did, no doubt. But he was also Machnia that polished him. To live under the thumb of the Jewish people for a period of time, like many of the other judges. So, the idea that the Rashbam uses such strong language is chalila, chalila, that you're not being heard, the Laimik is a very strong language, but for the Rashbam, it's an anathema to imagine that this is a reference to, 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 to Shemshin. And you see from the Ibn Ezra, he's trying very hard to keep to his nevuah protocols, and show it as referring to the tribe of Dun itself. And so therefore he elevates Dun as to the leader of the other B'nai Hashfachis, and he also elevates Dun's position as the Ma'asev al that makes him equal to the B'nai Agviris. Also in relation to Naphtali, just to mention before we go to some other even as outside of Vayechi, he also says in relation to Naphtali, he brings down uh, a position that when it comes to Naftali, perhaps when referring to Naftali, shefer that it's a remiss to, right? to Devoira and Barak, right? Who come from Naftali, who have the famous battle with Sisra, uh, right, the other all of that stories that we learned in the beginning of Shaiftim, that he doesn't seem to have a problem with. So it would seem to me that it's not a problem, perhaps with limiting the nevuah of done to a single person is fundamental because he's willing to do it on one or two people for naftali so maybe the problem is more of what the rash bomb suggests which is that shimshin perhaps is not seen as the most effective of leaders again even though Shafetim seems to suggest that he was you know obviously not the typical judge but at the end of the day he was a shafet and he Ruled the people, at all it would it would help. That word "Amay" done Yadin Amay the whole nation. It's it's not clear why the Ibn Ezra omits it, but it is a hundred percent clear to me that he's doing it deliberately. So where we've ended up so far, um, we've done most of the shvatim when the Ibn Ezra refers to nevuah. Uh, one last one that we didn't do is in relation to God. This one is a class this one is uh to me is an interesting one right if you look at the words of of god right god right is okay right so the what does it mean he's going to have a he's going to have battles his nabe Yaakov Avinu is prophesying gedud that there's going to be a war there's going to be a problem and in the end, God's going to win. And we know God is a very big warrior. They're very valiant, right? They're going to lead the Bnei We learn later on. Ruve and God are going right, to go in front of the Jewish people. <laughs> They're going to go lead in front of the Jewish people during the Kiva She'aretz. So God is a big warrior. We know this. So how do I see this? The Ibn Ezra says that Yaakovinu is being misnabe, that there are a lot of wars and battles that God's going to have to fight, and he's going to win. And this is how the Ibn Ezra concludes. I'm skipping a few, a few lines. He says, right? That's from davening, right? That we say, We don't know what happened in those days. Not every battle is mentioned in Tanakh, but we can be assured that this Nevoah of Yaakov took place, that God faced a lot of battles, and he won them, because this was Yaakov's nivuah. right? So what we've seen is that the, the Ibn Ezra is striving mightily. He's working hard, to try to show that there was, this was not brachas, this was nevuas, and we've explained that while it may be true about many of the tribes, it's very difficult to sustain when it comes to Yosef. Berchais Rivcha, Gavra, Berchais Hayrei, Berchais Tahayim, Berchais Shaday, all the brachas, brachas, brachas. Even even Ezerik that those are brachas. Seems difficult to sustain. These are nevuas. Only nevuas and not brachas. But that is the position of the Ibn Ezra, that the brachas, took place outside of the text. We don't actually know what, what Yaakov said to them for the brachas, but for sure for the Ibn Ezra, what bothered him was how could it be that Yaakov in on his deathbed for all of the ethical wills, for all of the program that he had given to Reuben, Shimon, and Levi, not to give them a bracha? That, I think, for the Ibn Ezra was something he could not accept. And therefore, fundamentally, He works hard to try to make these into nevuas, and there are separate brachas that we do not mention. As I mentioned already before, the problem was uh, a fewfold. Number one, we said that Yosef had all these brachas. Number two, that he's going after nevuas that don't necessarily seem to be uh, so clear in the text. Certainly by God, we don't know. So the Ibn Ezra says, oh, well, you know, these battles happen even though the text doesn't tell us about them. And obviously they won, that was the nevuah. That's kind of, you know, not so strong. Why does refuses, when it will be obvious, it will be like, you know, it's like a gift wrap to say that done is a reference to Shimshin. He won't He won't go near that. You know, this, the, the, there seems to be um, some discomfort with certain things. He doesn't tell us why or what he's doing. One last point to mention is in relation to Binyamin. Where we know the Torah, is, Yaakovino is comparing him to a wolf, right? Benjamin Zeev Yitroif. Again, for the Ibn Ezra, what that means is that Benjamin, the tribe, is very strong. It's not a reference to any specific person within Benjamin. The tribe of Benjamin is very strong. Benjamin is the Meul He's compared to a wolf, Kigibar HaYa, because he was very, very strong. V'ha'ais Anshei and the proof of that is Anshei Giver. This is again a reference to the story at the end of Shefton that we mentioned before, the give Begiva, because you see over there that 26,000 members of Binyamin beat up 400,000 of the Bnei Yisrael. They, they, were, they were much smaller, and yet they managed to really decimate out a much larger army from the other tribes. So that's a proof for the Benezra, another proof that Yaakov's prophecy was correct. Now, in the few minutes that we have left, I just want to go back to the beginning. If you go to Parshas Chayisara, over there, Avram Avinu is telling the servant, who the Ibn Ezra brother calls Eliezer, he's telling him instructions, what to do. Where should he go? What should he do? Where should he not go? And is that is that a prophecy? The passage tells us there that Avram Avinu it says to it says to the servant, Hashem Hashem who took me out of my father's house and my birthplace. And who promised me all these things that that he's gonna send his angel before you and he's going to you're going to be able to find a wife for my son Isaac. Is that a prophecy? When he's telling this to this man, right? To this servant, to Eliezer, is that a prophecy? Says Ibn Ezra, that's not a prophecy. When Avram Avinu is saying, Who is not a prophecy. Says the Ibn Ezra, you want to know why not? I can prove it. Because later on, Avram Avinu, when he's talking to the servant, then he wants to know well, what happens if the woman doesn't want to come back? If the woman doesn't want to come back, then then you're 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 absolved from this oath. You don't have to keep to this oath. So for the Ibn Ezra, if Avram is willing to countenance a failure of the mission, then obviously it wasn't prophecy. When you read it, you would have thought it's prophecy, but as we see later on in the text. From the fact that later on it is, um, it makes it clear that it was not prophecy. He was not guaranteeing it. What then is it? It's a bracha, it's a tefillah, it's a hope, but it's not nevuah. That's number one. The second, even as I wanted, or the last even as I wanted to mention, is in Parzva Yishlach. Over there, Yaakov Avina was saying, He's very scared. Esav is coming with four hundred men. He makes two separate camps, and he says, "If Esav comes to one, the other one's going to escape. The other one's going to be able to get away." Is that an avua? Is that a prophecy? Says the Ibn Ezra that that is not. prophecy. The reason, says the Ibn Ezra, is because Yaakov Avinu at the end of the day only has access to the divine information that Hashem gives him. If he doesn't have the ability to access that information, then he doesn't have prophecy. He has hopes, he has dreams, he has wishes, but he doesn't have prophecy. And yet, it is true that Hashem told them that I'm going to be with you. Hashem said, I'm going to be with you. I'm not going to abandon you and all that. All that's true. But that's not a guarantee that Yaakov's family will be saved. Maybe Hashem will do what He said He'll do by Meishu Rabbeinu, right by the, by the breaking of by the Ego, by the breaking of the luchis. Hashem said to Meishu Rabbeinu, Listen, you know what? Enough with the Jewish people. We'll start the Jewish people through you. We'll restart it, but just through you. For the Ibn Ezra, that's not a possibility. That to say, when Yaakov is saying, there's a prophecy, it's not a prophecy at all. Yes, Hashem had promised him that he will survive, that Hashem will be with him. But so what? Maybe Hashem will restart the Jewish people just from Yaakov Avinu, who lose these 12 tribes, and he'll have another. he'll have another one. Right, remember, you know, like sort of, uh, you know, Bikiva loses his twenty four thousand students. He has five more students. He restarts it. For the Ibn Ezra, this is no prophecy. Yaakov has there's no specifics as to the prophecy. So therefore, Yaakov can't rely on anything. He's not foretelling anything. A prophet only has this information if he gets access. Like Elisha, if he when he had no access, he says, "Hashem helame, Hashem is hiding this from me. He doesn't know what's going on with this woman." Even if he's a Na'vi, he doesn't have access to that information at that time, whatever the reason. So, a Na'vi only, for the Ibn Ezra, only knows what he gets access to. And if it's not given with specificity, then he doesn't know what it applies to. So now let's bring that back to Parz right? And what we saw is these various rules. If he doesn't get it, the information, he doesn't have it. If he doesn't have specificity, he doesn't know what it applies to. And if he's making it conditional... Then it's not even a prophecy at all. That's what we saw by, by descending sending the the servant to go marry off to uh, um, you know Yitzchak. So now we come back to VaYechi, and he says, "I'm going to tell you. Listen to what I'm going to tell you. I'm telling you, tell you what's going to happen at the end of the days. There's no conditionality here. He's not making it conditional on anything, but he's also not giving any specifics. So what it seems for the Ibn Ezra is that Yaakov had access to this information. Therefore, it's prophecy. It's not a bracha. It's not a tefillah. It's actual prophecy. But, but, at the end of the day, Yaakov Avinu perhaps doesn't have the specificity. So therefore, he's not providing it. And therefore, it's up to us, or the Ibn Ezra, to find that specificity. And what the Ibn Ezra seems to consistently be trying to do, more often than not, is at least to do it on a tribal level rather than on a specific personal level. With that, we conclude the safe four, Sefer Barathees. Like I said, we'll get to the ones that I have in the back pocket that I've been wanting to use. Hopefully, we'll be able to use them as we go along further. Have a good challenge.